Welcome back to the Early Weigh-In Podcast. Coming off the hills of UFC 288, we travel over to the East Coast, live in front of a crowd again. This Saturday's UFC Charlotte. Rumor had it, supposed to be Nashville. Would have been nice to have us an event back here again. But UFC's lined us up with some nice heavyweights in the main event. We have knockout artist Jarzinho Rosenstroik taking on rising contender in Jalton Almeida. And now the co-main event, another exciting fight, man. Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker. Brings us to a total of 12 fights. It's live on ABC on Saturday during the day. Prelims start at 11.30 Eastern time. Always love us a good set of morning fights there. Before we get into things, make sure to do us a quick favor. Like the video, sub to the channel if you haven't before. Same things we always ask for every week. Uh, as far as last week, UFC 288, mixed bag of results here for the podcast. Main event was an absolute massive swing for you. I didn't have any money on it personally, but after the final bell, I did have Henry up three rounds, man, and a win there makes your night look a whole lot different. Uh, go ahead and recap how we finished last week. Yeah, so this is not how I'd like to be wearing the casual cap. We are doing a little makeshift casual hat for this uh, this podcast until we figure it out um, on this new way of doing the podcast. So um, we'll touch on your card first. Looks very different from my card. You only had one loss on the night. Um, we'll start off with your biggest bet of the card, which was uh, Zhao Yan Zhao Nan, uh, plus 160. Then you also had her inside the distance at plus 800. Um, that was a huge cash for you, roughly about a four-unit cash right there for you. You also had uh, Fight Starts Round 3 at minus 400 for the main event. Lost the, Evloev there. What was that? Lost Evloev. Part right. Fighting Bryce there. Right, right. Um, and then the under one and a half rounds for the Parker Porter Braxton Smith fight. That one, wow! After that performance from Braxton Smith, there's no way that that doesn't hit every single time. Um, your only loss on the night was the Williams inside the distance minus 150. I know a lot of people that were on that, um, and honestly, Williams just didn't look like himself out there. Mm-hmm. He's kind of underperformed in a couple of spots where he's been a favorite. Um, so I think that that'll. <laughs> that'll that'll be something that we have to take into account moving forward. Uh, you ended up the night positive 5.75 units with an 88% return on investment. Awesome night and uh, definitely something that you want to keep rolling. Looking over at my night, you touched on the main event being a huge swing point for me. It was about a five and a half unit swing um, for a round three to be or around five to be judged for Aljamain Sterling. It's a pretty tough L to take, but ultimately I was not holding the plus money ticket on a uh, split decision win. So I can't be mad at anybody but myself. Um, I did end up tailing the Yao Zanan pick. Um, You know, I don't know. You had the perfect read on the fight. I wasn't as confident, but after hearing your take and a couple other people being pretty confident on the Yan side, I decided to tail and make that one of my late plays, which ended up being one of my only plays that hit. (laughs) Um, you look at jo- the Joseph Holmes right off the bat against Claudio Ribeiro. I don't know, man. Like, you know, it, I thought that he got the fight where I wanted a couple of times. He just did not deliver. Uh, mm-hmm. had him straight up and by submission. Um, neither one of those got close enough to where I play that again. And he just didn't put on a performance that I'd like to see out of any fighter that I'm backing. Um, I got a little bit greedy on the frivola by decision. He was obviously the side. Um, and he didn't really use the wrestling like I thought he would, but he was winning the uh, the striking exchanges too. So definitely an awesome performance by him. Um, I, de- I think I should have just been on the frivola side though if I was going to play it. Um, and then let's see, 
Porter wins round two, <laughs> another one of those where I don't think Braxton Smith is getting out of the first round ever. <laughs> um, so that one, bad bet, even at a plus 650 number, although Porter was definitely the side in that right. fight. Um, and then I had the co-main event goes, doesn't go to decision. And um, I don't know, man, you got Bilal coming in saying that he was hurt with his ankle and then Burns' shoulder getting blown <laughs> out like second round. It's odd that that one didn't come to a finish, but, you know, Burns is tough and Bilal doesn't finish people. Um, so it was written in the stars already. Um, and then my other late play of the night, my only other win, Evloev wins the fight by in round three or by decision, minus 120. Um, definitely a little bit sketchy. I don't think anybody expected Lopez to have the fight that he did, right. but I thought it was an amazing way to get a minus 1,000 favorite to almost even money. And I think that I'd make that play again. I ended up the night minus 6.4 units, minus 60% return on investment. One that I'd like to put behind me, that's a, yeah. a tough L, but it was due. I've been on a pretty hot streak up until this point, and this one kind of levels me out, makes me a little bit timid to play <laughs> stuff this week, but I'm going to continue to follow my gut. Uh, it's done well for me so far. Good stuff. So moving into the main event of the evening, <laughs> it's a heavyweight bout uh, between Jorinzo Rosenstruik versus Jelton Almeida. Huge style uh, clash right here. You know, Jelton cut his path through the heavyweight division uh, into the rankings and has been impressive to say the least. You know, um, we saw when he first came into the UFC that he's able to cut to 205 pounds. Um, and, you know, to talk about how smoothly he got those finishes at 205, it was definitely a surprise to me to see him jump up to heavyweight to begin with. Um, but since he has moved to heavyweight, he's 3-0, and all three finishes within two rounds. And uh, he stuck to a fairly straightforward game plan in all of those bouts. You know, he, he finds his range by throwing those long front kicks up the middle. Um, and he sets up the power double leg or the body lock takedown. And then you have to deal with his world-class grappling. You know, his, his top pressure is insane. And in the heavyweight division, I think that he has the ability to go pretty far with his particular skill set. Uh, Rosenstruck, on the other hand, in a little bit different boat where we've kind of already seen his run to the title. Um, and considering how his last few losses have gone, you know, I, I think we're, we're getting to a point where he could be, um, you know, the sacrificial lamb coming into this fight against the UFC's newest prospect um, coming up the rankings for Rosenstruik. You know, he was feared for his ability to end a fight with a single lead left hook. And, you know, it was like he blinked and his opponents were in la la land on their butt. Don't really know what hit him. Um, so it, it took a replay to actually see where this power is coming from, from Rosenstruik. Um, but since he's made that title run in 2019, the, the blueprint of how to beat somebody like Rosenstruik um, has kind of been laid out. You know, he's a, a Suriname, Surinamese kickboxer. And honestly, I, I think it plays right into the strengths of Jelton. You know, like most of Jelton's fights, um, you know, I think that we're going to find out really soon how this is going to go. I expect a shot out of Jelton within the first 30 seconds and a subsequent finish shortly after. If Rosenstruik is able to keep this fight standing, I think we're talking about a whole different fight. Um, but judging by Rosenstruik's past performances, I'm, I'm afraid he's going to suffer the same fate as Jelton's last few opponents. If this does stay on the feet, though, I think that a plus 400 ticket is going to look like an absolute gift. I do think that this is the biggest step up in competition that Jelton's had so far in the UFC. So that's definitely something that you got to watch out for. And then having a fighter like Jelton who hasn't seen those later rounds, I do think that it's uh, something to be a little bit wary about. 
um, which is ultimately why I haven't made a play on Jelton, even though I see all these um, advantages that he has. It's tough to trust a fighter that I haven't seen uh, really be tested, especially at the highest level. So as he moves up, I do think that he's going to run into some some problems, just like we saw Hamzat Chemaev with Gilbert Burns. Um, there will be somebody who's able to stop that initial takedown and take him into deep waters. Um, so since the fact that we haven't seen that is why I'm laying off, but Jelton Almeida's the pick here. Yeah, Jelton Almeida's easily the pick here. Um, originally slated for the co-main event, now been bumped up to the main event. It's live during the day on ABC and I promise you that's not to showcase Jarzinho Rosenstroik who's going to throw four leg kicks over 25 minutes. You know, it's it's 100% to promote their new contender in Jalton Almeida, in my opinion, and gave him one of the more tailor-made matchups for him in the top 10. Rosenstroik is, you know, he's an athletic freak of himself. The guy moves extremely well for his size. He's the best fighter, best striker Jalton's ever stood across from. And coming into the UFC with a kickboxing background, only eight pro fights, the UFC's already signed him two, three fights in. He's already jumping into the deep waters, fighting Arlovsky, main eventing against Alistar and five rounders. I just can't really shake how much of a stylistic disadvantage that he's at here in this one. Jalton is absolutely a physical specimen as well on every single vitamin, Brazilian vitamin there is known to man. Um, and when I see him out here lifting guys like Parker Porter up in the air, I don't think he's going to have any issues finding that double leg on Royce and Stroik either. Um, I, I'm with you. I think that takedown comes pretty early in round one. And after that, I think it's up to Royce and Stroik, honestly, as to what's going to happen next. Is, he, is the guy just going to kind of cover up and play it safe, ruin everybody's round one tickets and get to the second round kind of like Shamil did? you know, Or is he going to open himself up, try to get back to his feet? And then I think it's even tricky trying to play a, a prop on Jalton because he's got a ground and pound finish and he's got submission wins. So you know, again, I, I feel like it's up to Royce and Shroik how this finish is going to happen. Um, I look at trying to parlay violence here as well, but I ultimately just got back to the side of Jalton Almeida because of how he was able just to kind of ride the back of Shamil, let time elapse. And and maybe as you get further up in stiffer competition, you know, they're going to be better defensively sound on the mat, and it might take him longer to get those finishes. The guy's a legit BJJ player, competes in the gi, and and truth be told, I do think he's going to do whatever he wants to Royce and Stroik when he gets him on the mat. I think when he gets him on the mat, man, he he's going to cover that 85 90% price tag on it. Moving on, uh, co-main event, originally scheduled for the main event. Um, for 25 minutes, um, I don't honestly think we're even going to really need 15 here. Uh, Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker. Smith has shown a lot more success to me uh, since moving up to 205. Even got his shot, you know, against Johnny Bones Jones, the GOAT. Spent 25 minutes in fetal position, but, you know, hey, he got his title shot. Uh, I think at this point, the, the fight miles are starting to add up for the guy. You throw in the fact that he's spending time behind the commentary booth now. Um, the home robbery situation a couple years ago. I just think Anthony Smith's best days are behind him. Um, and while we do give him shit for getting in fetal position, shelling up in a lot of these fights, the guy's as tough as they come. Um, he's not ever going to quit on himself. And when you see him handle the illegal shot from Jones and his title shot opportunity compared to how Aljo handled it, there's always a different level of respect for the guy there as well. Very good size for 205. And he's got elite BJJ, man. He's one of the few guys that I know who is legitimately dangerous off his back and has shown it time and time again. He's got a nice calf kick. Um 
My issue is I struggle to see where Johnny fits into the caliber opponents that Anthony loses and wins. You know, uh, Anthony's going to turn back these prospects like Devin Clark, like Ryan Spann. You know, he's going to protect that top seven, eight of the division and turn those guys back. But, I mean, anytime he takes a step into that top five, top six, taking on Blockowitz, Rackage, Jerry, Jamal, Ankaliev, Glover, now, you know, he's retired. I think he's proven time and time again that he's way over his head in those type of elite matchups. Um, Talent-wise, I kind of rate Johnny right in the middle of him. You know, I think he's better than a Devin Clark and a Ryan Spann, but I definitely don't think he's a top five guy in the world right now. He's twice the athlete of Anthony Smith. He's got a great frame, unreal speed, and he throws a whole lot of unorthodox strikes at you, which makes him a handful, man. He's got all the physical advantages you could want in this. He's a fast starter with – Almost all of his wins coming in round one. Got back on track after a bit of a skid. He's now finished Kute Laba and Craig uh, with first round knockouts and subs. I don't necessarily know if I can count Johnny Walker to mix in takedowns here, which I think has been proven to be the blueprint to uh, to beat Lionheart. And then if it gets hairy, I don't necessarily think I can count Johnny Walker's chin, you know, to hold up here as well. So ultimately I have decided to pass on the co-main event. Um, Whatever so slightly, man. I'm going to lead Johnny Walker. How about yourself? Um, hmm. So, you know, this is one of those fights where historically neither one of these guys are, are somebody that you want to be placing your money on. Um, you know, like you said, Smith has never really been able to put more than a few wins together um, in the UFC. And, you know, it's just kind of like sometimes he's on, sometimes he's not. You're not sure which one's going to be coming into the octagon. Um, and then, you know, for Walker, like you said, you know, originally came into the UFC with one of the most wildest, volatile fighting styles we've ever seen from anybody, um, which made him extremely exciting to watch, but caused him to lose by some terrifying KOs. Um, we've seen a little bit of a turnaround for Walker in his last two bouts with those first round finishes, uh, which is nice because after his bout with Tiago Santos, I was a little bit worried that we were only going to see the Johnny Walker. The only way that we were going to see Johnny Walker win was point fighting under John Kavanaugh, you know, um, now, uh, you know, in this matchup, I see why it's pickums. We've never seen Anthony Smith, you know, dominate his opponents from bell to bell. He usually has to survive the fire from his opponents early. And then he finds success later on in the fight. Um, and I don't think that this fight is going to be any different. You know, I think on the feet, uh, Walker being as, a, as athletic and explosive as he is, I expect him to push that pace early and look for a finish, um, over someone like Smith, who's you know taken ten months off since his last bout, coming off of a KO loss, um, I, I think if Smith is able to avoid getting finished early, um, I think that's where his experience and his skill set to drag uh, Walker into deep waters will start to come come out. Smith um, has never really been good at getting his fights to the mat. He he's only scored being a 27% takedown accuracy. But I do think that that's where he'll find the most success against a six foot six striker and Johnny Walker. You know, I, like I said, if he's able to drag this fight out, Walker's going to give him the opportunities um, to get the fight to the mat, whether it's overextending on some of his punches or just getting worn down against the cage. Um, you know, oddly enough, because of the overall skill set of Smith, I think that we're getting a pretty favorable price tag here. Um, if it weren't for his most recent KO loss to Ankulayev, and Walker's most recent victories, I do think we see a lot of, you know, the minus 180 range for Smith um, for a good portion of both these guys' UFC careers. Um, probably laying off for me as well, but, you know, it's tough to shake the feeling that we're getting, a, that we're not getting a buy low spot here for a marginally better fighter in Anthony Smith. 
So um, I, I'm going to be taking Anthony Smith. I just struggle to find out, find where he's going to be able to get this to a point um, where he will be able to find success. And you know that you're going to be um, biting your nails in that mm-hmm. first round with Johnny Walker. So right. I, I'll go with Smith here, but not confident either. For our next fight, my fight of the night for the card, uh, I've got Alex Morono taking on Tim Dirty Bird Means. I think both these guys have had favorable UFC careers given their actual skill set. Uh, it seems like a shame to kind of skip over somebody like these two guys um, after 43 UFC fights between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they've, I think that if they made this fight sooner, that it would be a much closer line. But ultimately, we're looking at a 39 year old Tim Means coming off of back to back losses to Kevin Holland and Max Griffin. And although he looked, you know, decent up until the point of losing in both of them, it did start to see seem like you could start to see the wear and tear of 45 professional fights starting to take place in Means' career. Um, he's not eating shots too well. He no longer has the the physicality that he once did. And I think both of those things that are, are something that kept all of his past fights competitive. With Alex Morono, you have someone who's also coming off of a loss to Santiago Ponzinibbio. He accepted that bout on short notice when Pons' original opponent, Robbie Lawler, uh, pulled out. And for what it's worth, I do think that Alex, you know, went out there, made a good account of himself. Sure, he was finished. So if you look at it on paper, it doesn't look good. But he was cruising to a decision win before yeah. um, before he lost that one, at least on two out of the three judges scorecards. And um, he was riding a four fight win streak before the Ponzinibbio loss. So I can't help but feel like this is the UFC kind of throwing both these guys a bone in this matchup for means. I've already talked about he's an aging fighter. Um, but he should only be fighting certain levels of UFC competition at this point in his career. Throwing him to the dogs with Kevin Holland uh, uh, doesn't seem like a very nice move by the UFC in hindsight, you know. Um, and guys like Moreno is a much better matchup for him at this point in his career. Where you look at it for the Moreno size side, and this honestly does seem like a gift from the UFC. You know, he was on that legit winning streak before jumping in on a few days' notice, and it seems like a very winnable matchup for Morono to get back on his winning ways. Almost like a thank you from the UFC for taking that short notice fight and saving that. Um, I think Morono has the pressure for three rounds with a full camp to slowly break down those defenses of means and eventually test that chin. Um, I also think that Morono has the Brazilian jiu-jitsu to threaten attacks if the fight does find its way onto the mat, and then good enough scrambling to wind up on top and secure rounds um, if, if they do get into scrambles. Uh, if I were to bet on the total, I would lean towards the over, but considering that both these guys are aging fighters and coming off of recent losses, I do think that you're almost playing with fire, expecting them to both perform over 15 minutes. Um, my pick is going to be Alex Morono. I hate the price tag because of, of the uh, the KO loss that he's coming mm-hmm. off of, but I, I do think that he's the rightful favorite here. Good scrap between, like you said, two veterans. I uh, like it. Dirty Bird, I think he's the superior boxer of the two. You know, he's the one who's always going to be throwing in combination. He digs to the body. He has good pressure and a long frame and, you know, showing that he can put that volume out over 15 minutes. And, you know, lately – he seems to kind of like wrestling. I know he's coaching and stuff outside the cage, but when it comes to bringing it into the cage, he, he reverts back to the old ways of getting in your face and, and you know, boxing on the inside. Um, and that is a bit of a concern because I think the durability of Tim Means is, 
you know, is on the decline and he likes to kind of get in those wars on the feet and, and sometimes just doesn't have the chin for it. I'm just not necessarily sold on Morono's just, you know, stopping power. Honestly, I'm not sold on his finishing ability. Um, he's another one of the guys that's more volume over power to me. A guy who's historically slowed down in the third round, not just the Pontinibio fight on short notice. Um, and yeah, I want to give him props where he's due because he looked phenomenal on short notice. Dropping Pontinibio, I think, in every single round, hurting him bad. Um, but at the end of the day, he did get slept really bad, and that doesn't feel like it was that long ago. I don't have any action on your fight here, but I I don't really get the price tag. I don't get the people rushing to the window here to bet Alex Morono. I don't really get them making them a staple on their parley, uh, parlays this week. I think these guys typically tend to go to decision a lot. I typically lean to the over two and a half here as well. To me, it almost feels dog or pass at this price tag. I'm going to side with Alex Morono because I think he's, like, again, the younger, the fresher, the guy with the more pressure, potentially take down upside. But you run this fight back a couple years ago, man, and, and I'm taking this shot on Tim Means all day. My fight of the night, I'm going to go with uh, Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez taking on Ian Gary. Um, Gary getting what a lot of people consider his first big step up in competition, you know, in the UFC and – you know, I talk the kid up a lot. I, I'm very high on Ian Gary, 25 years old. The guy's 11 and 0, and the the confidence, the belief he has in himself, next to none. Trains at a great camp in Killcliffe. I mean, he's in a room full of killers and talked very highly about there. His distance management when he is when he's on, he looks like one of the better strikers on the roster to me. He's got really good footwork in and out of range. Lets off in combination again, dig into the body, ton of feints. He switches levels with all kind of kicks. There's just a wide variety of tacks at you and a ton of volume coming at you. It lips in 100 significant strikes numerous times now. And I think he has a very slept-on ground game that we just haven't seen yet. He's also been five rounds in the past as well in Cage Warriors. Um, the big issue I see with him, same as everybody, the tall man defense. He typically tries to get in and out of range, fade back instead of keeping the hands up. And that could be a detriment as you climb the rankings. Um, but I think seeing him cracked by Song Kanong last time, I thought he showed excellent re recoverability and able to get back to his feet and then win every minute and get the stoppage in the third round. Um, with Daniel Rodriguez, we're talking about a guy who's 11 years older at 36 years old, a late start to the UFC. But to be honest, fought some pretty good competition right out the gates. Um, when I look at the people he struggled to, though, you know, I, I'm pretty sure you took a shot on Nicholas Dalby there a karate kind of stance fighter, a guy who throws a ton of volume, knows how to keep that range, throws a ton of kicks. And what he do? He stifled, you know, D-Rod's boxing with all the kicks. D-Rod wasn't letting his hands go. And I think Ian Gary does the exact same thing of Dalby, just a whole lot better. I see him submitted by my Neil Magny, and Magny's not a finisher, man. Magny's usually the guy getting taken down and submitted, not the guy typically submitting guys. It wasn't really the best look for me. And then you throw in Dwight Grant, sending him flying across the octagon, landing the big overhand. I think D-Rod is very KO-reliant um, because I think he's going to struggle to keep up the volume of Ian Gary. I think he's going to get behind very quick. I think Ian's hungrier. I think at 25 and a good camp, he is improving every single day. Mentality is there. The skill set's there. Um, I think truly uh, D-Rod is just another stepping stone to the top 10 of the welterweight division for Ian Gary. I'm very high on this guy. I think he comes through on Saturday. 
Yeah, I see this fight just a little bit differently. I will side with Gary ultimately, but I don't I don't think that this price tag is warranted. I'll first off start by saying that I think D-Rod's his his toughest opponent to date, which in and of itself kind of mm-hmm. gives you um, you know, it makes me want to fade him. And not to mention Ian Gary has not covered his price tag in his last few bouts. Um, the the Canon Song one being the most obvious one, but I think D-Rod brings similar or better pressure than Song Canon. Um, with with more power so um i think that this is a a spot where (laughs) i'm looking at at a prop to play daniel rodriguez his um finish only line is plus one or plus 250 his exact same as his money line like you said i do think that he's pretty ko reliant and being that um you know, we've seen Ian Gary at only 25 get caught really bad, probably could have been stopped by a lot of different refs um, that didn't give him the chance to to fight out of that getting dropped. Um, I think that there's there's a real chance that Daniel Rodriguez can get the finish here. Um, so I love that it's your fight fight to watch because I do think it's going to be a good one. But I think Ian Gary might be uh, up for his toughest challenge yet. Moving on to the fighter to watch. I'm taking Ji Young Kim. Um, not so much because she puts on excellent performances, but just because of where she's at right now in her UFC career. She's riding a four-fight losing streak coming into this matchup, and it's absolutely her time to put up or shut up um, as, as a South Korean fighter right here. She started off their UFC career going three and two and looked to be a serviceable, serviceable opponent um, in the flyweight division. But now, you know, it seems like she couldn't buy a fight if she wanted to, you know, we're, we're still seeing her as a two to one favorite here against Mandy Bohm. And, you know, that in and of itself tells you about the skill set of Mandy. Uh, but it's really hard to shake the feeling that the UFC is, is doing everything that they can to get Ji Young Kim a win here, you know, um, especially after this fight had already fell through once the UFC rebooking. It, it seems really intentional to me. Um, you know, Kim, like I said, hadn't really turned heads with her performances to this point. Um, but there's definitely some decent takeaways when I see her fight. You know, the first is her volume. Um, we've seen in her past performances where it felt like she wasn't doing enough to get the the nod. Um, but we have seen her in her last few performances, albeit losses, um, eclipsing 100 landed strikes on her opponents, which we don't see much of in the women's uh, divisions. It would be silly to ignore that she hasn't been taken down in her last five fights, which have certainly contributed to those decision losses. But thankfully, she's fighting someone in Mandy Bohm who's yet to land a UFC takedown. She's fought worse competition and lost. Um, And, you know, I think if Kim manages to keep the fight on the feet, um, I think that she has the striking and the volume to keep Bohm on the end of her punches and finally get that nod she's been looking for on the judges' scorecards that she hasn't seen since 2018. Yeah. Um, like Parker Porter last week. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lay the juice here, but I think there is a dang good chance Gian Kim comes out here and gets the easiest 30-27 that we've seen in a, in a minute with, you again, the volume over 100 strikes. Mandy Bohm, not much of a takedown threat. I don't want to lay chalk on women's MMA again and get burnt, but I think Gian Kim is in a fantastic spot to get back on track as well. And the line's creeping down, which I'm quite shocked to see. Uh, my fighter to watch, going to go with Carlos Olberg, you know, every lady's favorite fighter and probably one of the most popular un- or parlay pieces this week. I got in him early on, you know, on Sunday. I, I think he's in a good spot to win. He's 3-1 and one in the UFC. 
the one blemish on his record in the UFC is the comeback from Kennedy and Zetraku, and I'm pretty sure that's Carlos's debut, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's a loss. It's not aging poorly by no means. And a fight Olberg 100% had his moments um, in as well. The win over Negra Marianu last night, last time out, I, I thought he looked like he kind of turned the corner in that fight, man. You know, he looked sharp. He didn't rush anything. And that's a very tough dude to put away. And he looked sharp doing it. Um, trained to city kickboxing, good friends with Izzy and man, their game resembles each other a whole lot. They're both very good kickboxers. They mix in, you know, the kick switching levels with them. What I like the best, the way he works behind his jab, man, sets everything up with it. Um, you know, basically stung Negamarianu with it, then hit him with the left hook as he was coming in. I like, I, I really like what I see on the feet from this guy. I mean, he's still working on a, the defensive grappling, but Again, in this matchup here, I think the guy, the guys in the UFC have given him Ehor as someone who's going to come forward and give him the striking kind of fight that he wants. Ehor, very fraudulent record. You got a guy who's 10, 11 pro fights, still fighting zero and zero guys in the Ukraine. Absolutely mollywopped by uh, Nega Marianu. You know, Ehor's striking defense, very bad. And I think the UFC really, really tried to dig to the bottom of the barrel to get Shogun to win on his way out in Brazil. I think I think the UFC is not high on Ehor. I don't think they like his skill set. They put him in the contender series. They threw him up against, I'm pretty sure, a Russian as a massive underdog. They didn't expect him to come through there. Um, I think Olberg puts this guy away in the first or second round on the feet. They've moved Olberg fight to the main card now. I think Olberg's my fighter to watch this week. I like that he's your fighter to watch. I do have some problems with his, him being this big of a favorite. The first being that he's a one-dimensional fighter. It sucks mm-hmm. that you have to take a guy who's supposedly going to win this 80-plus percent of the times without having a second an option B, you mm-hmm. know? I don't like that at all. But as far as when I watch these guys back, I do think that it's it's set up for Olberg to get this, yeah. this finish on the feet as Potet Ehor does hold his hands down and allow for people to land strikes on him. So I, I like Olberg being your fighter to watch, although I, I'm personally a little skeptical about the price tag. Um, we move on to, is it our underdog section right now? Our underdog section of the fight. Um, none of them have completely stuck out to me up until this point but if i am going to side with somebody i think it's going to be uh daniel rodriguez here you know we've already kind of touched on the reasons why he's going to have some advantages and i think it's really just the power it's a puncher's chance and um you know when i look at how he's going to get this done i I agree that machado or gary has some underrated bjj skills i just don't see him getting the fight to the mat using his wrestling um if this fight stays on the feet, I do think that it's, you know, two guys who are around the same level uh, that are going to be throwing, you know, I, I think that Rodriguez has the power. So there's a possibility of him winning rounds with one shot. Um, I know that uh, you, you talked about Dwight Grant catching him once. I also think that Daniel Rodriguez showed a great ability to recover in that fight as well. So if we're just going to get a dog fight on the feet, I don't see Gary getting the fight to the mat um, at his will, you know, on his terms. I, I think that this is a decent fight for what we see is like a plus 250 in Daniel Rodriguez. So I'll take him as my dog, although I'm not uh, super confident about it and I might not be playing it myself. Yeah, don't necessarily agree with that one. I, I don't think you're going to agree with my underdog here as well. I took Matt Brown. Uh, 
any point in these guys' careers, man, I, I really don't think Matt Brown should be a two-to-one dog to Court McGee, much less when Court McGee is coming off of a bad TKO loss. Uh, to me, a couple years back, maybe you take the durability concerns away from Matt Brown. And this is a 50-50 fight to me. You know, I, I feel at 42 years old, he's still giving a good account of himself. I know he gets finished in the Bay as a fight in round two, but he hurts Baez badly in round one. That's a good young prospect you're going toe-to-toe with finishes Diego Lima, and then I thought he should have got the nod against Brian Barberina. I bet him there. Um, I thought he won the first two rounds. On the feet, I think the striking is, is pretty even. I think Matt has faster hands. I think Matt has the, you know, the power edge, and statistically, he's the more accurate of the two. He's better defensively as well, um, and when the fight hits the mat, you know, I think, again, I just go back to Matt having more finishing upside in, in 16 wins in the UFC. Matt Brown's finished 14 of them in the 10 UFC wins court McGee has had, he's only had two submission wins. And that's another thing that I like to factor in. If I'm going to look at an underdog is when the underdog has twice the finishing potential of, of the guy who's the big favorite. And in this case, I think Matt Brown does. Um, I just have to know that Matt Brown is far past his prime. He does seem to slow down in fights. And the one thing Court's probably always had over Matt Brown is the superior gas tank. Um, so I don't necessarily know if I end up getting there, but at plus 195, I keep going back to just being a few years ago, and I, I'm taking a shot there all day. I think this has a likely chance to go in to the scorecards as well. Um, and Court McGee didn't shoot a single takedown on my boy Carlos Condit, so I can't. I can't guarantee he's going to come out here and shoot one against Matt Brown either. So plus 195 for a fight that I think has a good chance of going to decision between two vets. Take Matt Brown as my underdog. Don't know if I get to the window, though. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't agree with it. You know, I look at Matt Brown over the course of his career, and I don't think that he's got a legitimate UFC win since 2015. You look at the guys that he has beaten since then, Diego Sanchez, Ben Saunders, and Diego Lima. I don't think any of those guys were rightful UFC uh, additions in the first place. Where Court McGee, you touched on it, his uh, his ability to extend fights and continue his grinding pressure while continuing to shoot the takedowns, I do think are something that's going to get him the win on the scorecards. And plus, he's at least shown a few times that he, outside of his last performance, that he does have the durability. I'm not necessarily worried about him getting finished here against Matt Brown. And Matt Brown not being able to pull out a fight against somebody in Brian Barbarina, where I do think that Matt should have all these advantages over him, is definitely concerning considering the amount of uh, mileage that he has on him in his career. And having 19 losses, it's just it's tough to look beside. We're, we're approaching a, a 500 fighter right here. Um, so I definitely do understand the price tag. But, um, you know, I guess, I guess you're right. Ultimately, we're seeing two aging fighters, and it's probably going to decision. So I definitely see where you're coming from on taking the plus money right there. Um, now is for our prop of the card. Is that correct? Yeah. Prop of the card. Um, I have two that I'm looking at, but I think I'm going to go with the G Young Kim by decision at plus money. Love it. It's uh, one. It's at plus money, you know. So you're getting yeah. somebody's main path to victory. That's a two to one favorite at plus money. It's just tough to look past. I think Mandy Bohm is is tough enough that um, she can take all the strikes that Ji Young Kim has to throw at her. I don't see Kim getting the takedown and really threatening there. Um, and like I said, I think if she keeps it on the feet, she can just outpoint her to a decision. And um, 
it's tough to look past. So as long I, I know that this is about as low level as you can get at women's flyweight, <laughs> uh, but I do like the fact that we're not having to pay juice for a path to victory that I see uh, pretty likely. I see it playing out Kim decision like sixty percent of the time, and if I'm getting plus money on it, it's hard not to. It's hard to argue that I don't have an edge there. I'm with you, man. I, I, again, I think Kim could look like the bed of the card if we just don't want to lay chalk on women's MMA and and seeing that plus number there. I'm with you, man. I like it. I'm going to take another decision prop. I'm going to go Ian Gary by decision, plus 130. Nice way to take a minus 325 in this most likely win condition. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy who's went the full distance with Weeks, Gabe Green, and 30 seconds away from going the distance with Song Kanan. And I put D-Rod's durability up there with those guys as well. Submission, I guess, may be live, but again, Ian Gary's yet to kind of mix in that ground game, and D-Rod's yet to be put away on the feet. So I like this fight to go to decision, and that's where I like Ian to just kind of be a step ahead the whole time with his physical advantages, just being faster, more technical. The one mixing in the strikes, um, you know, that Dalby fight was was pretty indicative to me that if if we see Ian Gary come out here and let his kicks go, it really stifles the volume and boxing of D-Rod. Better grappler, five-round gas tank. Again, I think at three of his four UFC fights, he's hit over 100 significant strikes. So I think Ian's got all the tools to get it done here as he climbs the rankings. I just think, again, you're not finishing weeks. You're not finishing green. As you climb the ranks, I think you might not finish the tougher guys either. So I'm going to go Ian Gary by decision at plus 130, my prop as well this week. I like it. Uh, okay, another part of the podcast I kind of struggled on. It's my best bet of the card. Um, I'm going to go with a fight that we've touched on a little bit. Mine's going to be Anthony Smith over Johnny Walker. Um, it's one that I'll probably end up finding a unit for, but not multiple units. Uh, it's a pretty high, uh, it's a pretty volatile fight here. For you sure. know, he's going up against somebody as explosive as Walker is always cause for concern. Because at the end of the day, I think Walker could beat anybody on the on the 205 roster you know he just has that type of fight ending power and him having the size it's tough to look past but when i look at pure skill and breakdown of skill i do think that anthony smith he's fought at a higher level he's proven himself at a higher level and you know the the 50 fights on his record is a little bit concerning um but he's always kind of shown the ability to withstand an, an early pressure of his opponents and i do think that he just has um the skill set to to make this fight a little bit longer, put Walker in some situations that he's not necessarily used to. And then Anthony Smith having a legitimate Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I think that adds just another component into where he definitely could dominate this fight if it finds its way on the mat. Um, So Anthony Smith at pick and price here. I do think that it's a buy low spot. I'm going to make it my best bet of the card. Although best bet being only one units (laughs) upsell, you know? Uh, best bet for me, uh, I think it's a buy low spot on Cody Stamen. I got in at minus 120, um, and you know I think it's minus 165 right now. Um, but you can still get his decision prop at, at even money, and that's how he's gotten six of his seven UFC wins. But I'm big on Cody Stamen to win here. I Quite frankly, I don't really get the love for Douglas Dan Silva, DeAndrade. You're looking at a 38-year-old Bantamweight. Brazilian, 38 years old, they're going to take a drastic step down one day. We're going to see it in one of these fights coming up. Regardless of that, he's a bantamweight who, in my opinion, is very finish reliant. He doesn't really know how to win minutes. And I think he's going to be a step behind Cody Stamen here. Cody Stamen has been a top 15 for a long time. You know, he he might not be a top five, but 
you don't get to the top 10 without going through Cody Stamen, and, and he's fought a very good list of competition. I think he has a superior gas tank. I think he has the better wrestling. And Cody's got very underrated boxing. I, I think he knows how to win minutes in the cage here. Um, and he's shown me zero reasons to to like worry that Douglas DeAndrade is like is going to finish him. You know, Cody's never been finished on the feet by knockout. And the two times he's been subbed, you're talking about a, a Suliev stretch, which has happened like single digit times. And it it's by the guy who's won like 13 fights in a row at Bantamweight right now and is holding your belt. Then the other time, it's a 40-second guillotine after Saeed kind of hurts him with a shot to the body and makes him kind of panic shoot. Saeed's proven again that he can lock up guillotines when people kind of shoot in on him, you know. I don't think DSDA does either of those two, man. Again, I, I go back to this being a minus 120 quite shocked me. I think it's a buy low spot. That minus 120 indicates 55%. I get closer to 63 65% here on Cody, so – um, I think the public's agreeing with me as well. I've, I've got 1.5 units on him to return, 1.25 units, and Cody's my best bet this Saturday, man. I like it. I like it. We move on to the quick pick section of the podcast where we start off the night in the women's bantamweight division. We see Jessica Rose Clark taking on Tanara Lisboa. Uh, Lisboa's a big girl. I've seen a couple of yeah. shots taken on her as a dog, and uh, I don't hate it. I think she's actually moving into favorite territory now. Um, I definitely understand it, but when we talk about low-level women's MMA fights, this might as well be the poster for it. So um, (laughs) I'll be laying off of that fight for sure. I'll take Liz Boa, though, in her UFC debut. I think that she'll just be the all-around bigger girl, which means a lot in women's MMA. I'm going to side on the other side of Jessica Rose Clark. Will not be getting to the window, but I see a grappling advantage. And in her last three or four fights, win or lose, Jessica's grappling in them. So, you know, I, I don't think Lisboa, the Muay Thai specialist, fighting very low level, is going to lock up the arm bars the same way as Talia Renko and stuff is. So, I'll take Jessica Rose Clark. Be honest with you, not that doesn't go the distance at plus money. First fight on the card. I, it's a little tempting to me. I think both these girls could finish each other. Moving on up, uh, Gabe Green taking on Brian Battle at 170. You know, Brian Battle got dominated by a like 20 and something, 20 and oh, 20 and one Russian or something last time. And and now you're getting him as an underdog. And I think that's the reason why. I don't know if Gabe Green can technically replicate that here. So I'm going to go Brian Battle, man, at, at plus money. I, I think he's the side. Yeah, I don't I don't hate that read at all. You you talk about the two losses that Gabe Green has, but I also don't think that um that we see Brian Battle win those either. I think he loses right. to D-Rod and right. to Ian uh, Ian Gary. Um so I, I I guess I see the close to pick him fight, but I'm with you. I think we're honestly getting a buy low spot here, so I'm I'm tempted to lean Battle as well in this matchup right. where Green's biggest advantage seems to be his durability and I don't ever like betting on that. Um, moving down to the women's flyweight, we have Ji Young Kim taking on Mandy Bohm. Um, I struggle to find any positives for Mandy Bohm. Um, and Ji Young Kim, she's been around for a while. I think she's due for a win. The UFC's kind of setting her up. So I'll take Ji Young Kim here. I'm on Ji Young Kim. I'm thinking about laying chalk on women's MMA one last time. If, if it, if it burns me again, never sure. again, man. Sure. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like Gion Kim, man. And if you can get a decision profit plus money, I think that's the way you should lean to. Uh, moving on up, 
lightweight. Yeah, Natan Levy versus Pete Rodriguez. Supposed to happen a couple weeks back. I think Pete coming down from 170, 155 had some issues, and I'm hoping for him again this week. I've, I've taken the under two and a half again. Um, I put 1.5 units on it earlier today. I think Natan Levy gets the round two or three finish, or Pete gets the round one finish, but I'm going to side with Natan Levy. I think there's a finish here, though, man. Yeah, I like the I like the under as opposed to taking the side. I think um, for the side, I'm going to go Pete Rodriguez. I think he can crowd him early, and I don't yeah. necessarily trust Levy to take it to the ground. So I'll take Pete Rodriguez here as a dog. Don't feel too confident about it, but for the sake of the podcast, yeah. Um, uh, st- or going to the men's bantamweight division, we have Cody Stammen taking on Douglas Silva de Andrade. Um, <laughs> I told you earlier, whenever I bet uh, – who was it? Help me out Morozov. here. Yeah, Sergey Morozov. Um, I bet like four or some units on him, and Douglas absolutely starched him. Uh, tough L for me, so I'm done trying to fade him. Um, I do think that Cody Stammen, like you said, it does seem like a buy low spot here. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with Stammen, although it would not surprise me if we see uh, Andrade find another finish here, just being as powerful as he is. What won't surprise me is when I beat the closing line by 45 cents and, and it doesn't happen on Saturday. You know, it, it seems like the trend lately when this line moves, these fights don't end up happening. I hope it stays together. I like Cody Stamen uh, to win here. Carl Williams taking on Chase Sherman, another fight that's been rescheduled a couple week, from a couple weeks ago. Clear path to victory for Carl Williams with the takedowns, but – I don't know, man. I'm I'm not laying minus 400-something on Carl Williams. Um, he's going to be the pick. No action on the fight, though. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm with you. It's hard to trust Chase Sherman against anybody in the mm-hmm. UFC, so I definitely think that uh, Carl Williams is the side here. Um, moving to the welterweight division, I think it's our prelim headliner, Matt Brown, taking on Court McGee. I'm on Court McGee here. I think that he's able to grind this out like he has in his past few wins. So um, I'm on Court McGee's side here, although the the number's really gotten away from me. Quick pick section doesn't mean too much. My my betting cards what what means the most. Uh, I'm gonna side with the underdog uh, plus 195. Matt Brown. That's where the value is for me. Uh, gonna take Matt Brown. Uh, starting off our main card at 170. Tim Means, Alex Morono. It's another fight, man. Where Again, a couple years back, minus the slight durability concerns of means, and it's a 50-50 fight for me. A fight, I think, goes to decision more than likely. <sighs> I could see Alex Morono coming through, but I don't like the line. I think the value is on 10 means. Give me Dirty Bird as a dog again. It is not a few years ago, though, and I do <laughs> think that Tim Means' time has gone and passed. Now, that might be because I think I've bet on him in his last two and he's lost, so uh, <laughs> it's hitting a little harder for me. I think that uh, Alex Morono is going to get it done here. He's still only like 32 or 33, right. and uh, I think that he has all the tools to get this fight where he needs to to get the dub, uh, so I'll go with Alex Morono here. Uh, moving up the card to our light heavyweight division, Carlos Olberg taking on Ehor Poteria. Like I said, I think that Ehor, the way that he fights, it's uh, it's all set up for Carlos Olberg to get a stoppage win here. Um, but it's tough to trust Olberg at this price tag when he's only got one way to win, and that's by striking. So I'll take Carlos Olberg here. Wouldn't play him. Yeah, I uh, I go back to like recently looking at Olberg and thinking he's turning the corner. I mean. He put Tafan and Chukwe away in round one. Like that—that's a dude who's given some guys some tough fights before, you know. And then to go out there and do it again to the mega 
Nicomarianu, again, looks impressive, man. So I think Oldberg's turning the corner. I think he puts Poteria away here um, by Tico. D-Rod versus Machado, Ian Machado, Gary. Um, went aside with, I'm going to side with my dude, man. I, I like what I see from Ian Gary. I think the skill set's there and may not get to finish, but I think he gets through D-Rod. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stay on the Gary Fade train. I don't think that he's that good. His time will come. This is his best competition to, to date. So uh, I don't know. I'm on the Daniel Rodriguez side here. I think the value's on him. And I told you the uh, Rodriguez scorecards, no action prop. It's kind of how I'm looking to play it because I would agree that he's he's pretty finish reliant. But I think Ian Gary will give him those opportunities. So I'll, I'll go with Daniel Rodriguez here. Moving on to our co-main event, we're back in the light heavyweight division, Anthony Smith versus Johnny Walker. I think it'll be an absolute banger for as long as it lasts, but I'm going to go with Anthony Smith to uh, you know, withstand that early pressure and then find the victory later on in the fight. little disagreements on the card here on Saturday. I- I'm going to go with Johnny Walker in the co-main event. No bet, not much conviction, but uh, I do think Anthony Smith has far past the prime and Johnny Walker's live for a finish in any fight. Gonna go, gonna go with Johnny Walker, uh, and then main event Rosenstroik versus Jalton Almeida. I mean, again, um, I think it's a tailor-made matchup. I moved Almeida to the main event. I know what the UFC wants here. I, th- I think Jalton Almeida is gonna gonna get Rosenstroik down and find the finish in round one. Man, I, I would agree. I think you're right. We know who the UFC wants. Uh, again, it's like it's tough just not ever seeing Almeida really um, That's tested. Tough. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll go Almeida here. He should get it done like all of the rest. But if it stays standing, it is it is not his fight. I think Rosenstroke's yeah. definitely got him if it stays on the feet. So I'll pick Almeida for the sake of the podcast. I don't think we've even seen him get hit more than like once or twice in a fight. It's like it's like Hamzat level perfection yeah. in, in his fight so far. So, so is this his burns, you know? Hope not. Hope not. No. 12 total fights, man. Charlotte starting at 1130 Eastern. I love a good day set of fights, not having to stay up late. Uh, Hopefully we tipped out some good spots, some good fights for you. Um, Looking to have two green cards next week to recap. We'll see you all then. Peace.